Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources and veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and Mike Powell as we discuss how to support and take care of the people in your business for ultimate success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, and welcome to episode 16 of Hire the Smile. I'm Dr. Mike Pownell, and I'm joined as always by... Katie Ardeline. Hey, Katie, how you doing? Mm, just dandy. How are you? Really well. Really, really well. So we sort of came to the subject for this week's Hire the Smile podcast to talk about job burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, when we hear about uh, over the last few years, you know, uh, the attrition in the vet profession, the sadly the highest suicide rate amongst professionals globally, and all of this is just absolutely been exacerbated through the pandemic. And every practice that we talk to, many of our clients, they're all doing more with less. And everybody is tired. Yes. Really. And burnout is really, it's a problem. And so um, I was driving back from a client's actually uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I was going through some podcasts I had listened to. And I was listening to one. It was HBR Idea Cast, And we'll have a link to the podcast in the podcast notes, our podcast notes. And it was about burnout. And the person they're interviewing was Dr. Christina Maslock, who's a professor of psychology and researcher at the University of California, Berkeley. And as I found out later, Dr. Maslock is the guru, the leader in research on job burnout. The podcast was about 25 minutes long, maybe half an hour. It blew me away. And, uh, I shared it with everybody I know to say, like, listen to this. And everybody's been saying the same thing, like, wow, this is illuminating. Let's talk about burnout. Are we all prepared, Katie? Yeah, ready to roll. Right. So the first thing that I used to think up until about two to three weeks ago is that, you know, certain people have resiliency and certain people are able to handle pressure better. And, you know, I was just sit there and go, wow, are they not selecting the right people at vet school? Uh, is that why people are burning out? Do we need to change that? And listening to her and then doing some further research, I've realized that what, you know, her basic thesis is the job, what we actually do, what they have learned from their research, that the job is way more important for what happens with burnout than an individual's characteristics or personality. And I was like, well, there goes like 10 years of my thinking. Mm-hmm. But hey, great. And, you know, and then she gives some examples. Like whenever we're talking about somebody about burnout, it's like, well, take some time away or, you know, do some things. And we're talking about mindfulness. And there's all of these reasons she talks about to take us away from the job. And basically, you know, it's our workplace today has changed a lot over the last 
few decades. And she believes that's what's contributing to burnout. So she's saying we're not seeing as many people doing full-time work. There's less concern and investment for employees in various ways. Really what and we see this a lot, it's, it's almost a destructive competition. And those are her words that we're seeing. It's very much uh, we have socially toxic workplaces. The incentive to go, go, go in our modern workplaces is a f- big factor. You know, we're competitive within our practices against other practices. Mm-hmm. And we don't see people like they used to say, like, I'm tired or I don't know. If we feel if we're doing that now, we're showing a weakness. Uh, and that's, I think, a challenge for veterinarians because we are type A plus personalities. As she thinks is this competitiveness, this aggressiveness, this always on, this got to be there is the new business model for a lot of occupations, especially in healthcare. It's a marathon and it's really this, this job mentality is what's causing the burnout. What did you think when you heard about this, Katie? Yeah, that was really interesting because like you, I thought that it was individuals and, you know, how prepared they were, were to deal with stress and to be resilient. That was really the factor here. But I mean, there's such a spectrum of experiences and a spectrum of, you know, reactions that people to have, have to what happens at work. It just, it does kind of seem much too simplistic that it's, it's the person, not that it's, it's simple to um, fix in that regard, but, you know, from a conceptual place, you can kind of think of it that way. But I, I agree. I mean, you know, I was just thinking of, you know, we've talked before about KPIs, key performance indicators and numbers and things like that. And, you know, having people work towards the same goals and they get so specific and they get so, you know, a knife edge of a margin. And it really, uh, you know, as much as it incentivizes people, it can just totally go over the top in times of stress. So I thought it was really interesting. What she has talked about and what she's discovered in her research is that there's a job person fit in six areas and the balance between them is what's critical to prevent burnout. And none of these are listed in order of importance, uh, but these are just six. And, you know, the one that comes first is workload. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what everybody thinks about first and that, you know, uh, we must be just because we're working too hard, uh, too much going on, too few resources. And I think especially now the past year of COVID with curbside pickup, uh, the stress, you know, we're, as I said, we're doing more with less. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that's a huge factor. Yeah, definitely. And for everybody, I mean, not just veterinarians, you know, thinking reception staff and, you know, you have people out getting tested for COVID or people, God forbid, who have COVID and they're off and, you know, people are sort of left to pick up the pieces and uh, there's really no other choice. Yep. Yeah. And I I think of uh, teachers this past year having to adapt to that situation. I mean, this is not vet specific, but it's characteristic of our vets, Uh, you know, and I, and I think part of this, and I'm, I'm I'm going out on thin ice here a little bit is I think a lot of our compensation model with vets is it's on a pro sal production salary or pure compensation that uh, driving to reach numbers is part of this, relentless competitive treadmill that we're on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's some of it. So I think, you know, I could talk forever on that subject. 
The other one that they talk about is controls. How much autonomy do you have in your workplace? How much choice? Uh, and I think specifically with veterinarians, this is a big problem. And, and I'll, I'm going to hold off on tying it together till we get down the list because there's another one that I think this all really ties in. Reward. Uh, mm -hmm. When we think of reward, we typically think of salaries, perks, benefits, what have you. But really what they're saying in the research that sometimes uh, social reward is, is sometimes more important. How we appreciate people. And boy, I think we had a podcast recently on a culture of appreciation. And I know in our employee engagement surveys, uh, a lack of appreciation is one of the biggest criticisms we find pretty well uniformly across all practices. Definitely. Yeah. So it's kind of, I'm reading this, and I'm like, boy, this really does tie in employee engagement because we, we've recognized these things, but this sort of has put it all together. The other thing is community, the people that you work for. Are they good relationships? Are they supportive? Is there a lot of trust? Can mm. you work out disagreements with each other? And community, I always think of communication, and that's another area where we see a lot of struggle. Yeah, I, this is such a huge one. You know, I'm thinking to some practices that we've worked with or that we know of, um, that are going through times of stress and there's been some sort of a disruption to the culture that's led to a lot of mistrust, whether that's with management or ownership or whatever the case may be. And uh, yeah, I mean, those folks that are working in that kind of environment, uh, when they can't trust each other, it's, uh, it's really just not a good place to be. It's so stressful. Uh, and you don't, you're, you're afraid to sort of step outside your very narrow box of what you're supposed to be doing because you, you're not sure what's going to happen. As you're talking, I'm thinking, I remember talking to people and they're saying, well, yeah, I don't like some people that I work with, but I'm, a, I'm able to compartmentalize it. It's just my mm -hmm. job to go to work. You know, following what, what Dr. Maslach is saying is it's still there. You can't compartment, you can't put a wall. There's just the, putting the wall there is a stress right there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's effort involved in compartmentalizing. Big time, yeah. The fifth point she talks about is fairness, which uh, she said she found out is well, actually one of the very important ones, and that is, you know, are things fair for everybody? Are we fairly compensated? Mm. Is there transparency? Are people treated differently? Are there preferences for some people over others? Are there glass ceilings? Is just discrimination? And again, I think that's somewhere where we see, particularly in compensation, where there's not a lot of fairness. No. No, I think that's so right. And, and you know, bets aside and, you know, the debate about compensating on uh, production versus salary aside, thinking of support staff and, you know, places that we go into who haven't done reviews uh, or compensation increases in like seven years and people have to go to the management and ask for it and maybe it'll happen and maybe it won't. I mean, that's just a stressful place to be. And you're thinking about trust and it all ties together, right? You think about trust and you think about, is this person uh, compensating me appropriately for the inputs I'm putting in? And yep. the farther you get away from feeling like that's a positive, the worse it gets for sure. Yeah. yeah. And the last one, uh, which she says actually has turns out to be one of the most important is values in, in terms of the meaning of why am I doing this? Why are we here? Why are we doing this? And I think that could probably be an element uh, where it's actually easier in a vet practice. We're here to, we're taking care of sick animals mm -hmm. uh, and there's some meeting, but I think when, you know, tied into what's happening of COVID and we're doing more of less, keep on saying that refrain, I, I think we lose sight of the values and then it just becomes that treadmill. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When I was looking at the six, I said, you know, 
Control and fairness seems to be an area where as veterinarians and veterinary practices, this includes support staff, everybody. I think these are two key areas. So for example, um, and I think probably pediatricians and the staff of pediatricians would probably find some similarities. So veterinarians, we're treating an animal, we give recommendations or we give suggestions for our diagnostics. Uh, one of two things happen. We go forward with the diagnostics, we get an answer, or actually three things, or we do some diagnostics and we don't have conclusive answers or the client says, don't just treat the animal. I don't want to do diagnostics. Mm-hmm. And then we go to treat it and then they're like, well, you know, are they actually going to do it? Are they going to follow through? Are they going to carry through with the weight loss diet? Are they going to stop giving treats all the time? So I think as, as empathetic people who love animals and we see often the animal is the victim doesn't get the full benefit of what we would like them to do. I think that wears on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so that control aspect, we don't have a lot of control because we have this owner that decides whether they're going to accept it or not, which I think then ties into fairness because often it's not fair for the animal because it's not getting what it needs. But I think when we talk to vets and we look at vet online communities and discussion, I think well, over the last 10 years with the advent of social media, and there's a lot more online bullying, a lot more people just slandering vets, slamming vets online, you know, just indiscriminately. That's not fair. Like we're out there, you know, and get these stories of somebody comes into an emergency clinic at two in the morning and, you know, it's a busy place and, you know, they don't like what happened and they just get online and trash the vet. And I just think that's a huge factor of, of fairness. And I think that control and fairness really gets exhausting for vets. And yeah. Staff. Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, when, when the instance of, and I think Dr. Google has a lot to do with this as well. Sure. Absolutely. You know, if they can say, Oh, something didn't go the way I wanted it to, and then go online and then they have a hundred things that the vet should have done instead. Apparently uh, it's just, I mean, how can you defend yourself against that? You know, when yeah. people, people don't recognize the, you know, expertise that goes into taking care of pets. It's just, uh, it's really discouraging. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, so when you have those six factors, you know, which are job related, um, and it's not necessarily person related, it's balance, you know, that what, and so what she says, burnout really is that prolonged response to these chronic situational stressors on the job. Tough stuff. What she says, and I thought, you know, again, this is when it made me sort of sit back and go, we've got to talk about this because we're always worried about the people. And if we're seeing people that are burnt out, what it tells us as managers, leaders of a practice, owners of a practice is people are burning out. There's something wrong with the job. Yeah. And we have the responsibility if we want to minimize the burnout. Hey, if you don't care about people, you want to burn out, go for it. But that's a horrible place to go to. So mm-hmm. if we're really wanting to do well for our people and we're seeing that burnout has happened, I think we have to look at what we're asking people to do, look at the situations and change it. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying to people, well, get sleep some more, or eat, meditate, yoga, you know, let's get into some mindfulness, which I think is helpful. I think that's a Band-Aid or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a patchwork over really what the symptom is. And unless we deal with that, what, what's causing the symptoms, none of that stuff's really going to work, is it? No, totally agree with you. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, if you take, tell somebody to take time off, then they could take, you know, three days off and they come back and they've just been 
worried about coming back it makes it worse you know yeah. to be away and then coming back and being like oh my gosh i have to di dive right back into this yeah you know I, I wonder about what sort of mindset change typical managers or practice owners i guess even the staff have to go through to kind of think of it from this angle think about the work is the thing that's driving people to burn out not the you know a weak perceived weakness in the you know personality of or the mental makeup of somebody uh, I think that's hard. That's a hard obstacle. Well, I, I'll give a personal example. So, I mean, we're, we are short of that at one of our practices and we've just been slammed, busy, busy, busy. And, you know, the vets are getting a burnout and it's, it's, it's amazing what education will do to one. And if you listen to it and it's almost like pre reading, listening to this podcast, post listening to the podcast, how I would have reacted differently. Uh, and so we had a meeting with the vets because they're, they're tired and I, I see it. The staff is tired. Everybody's tired. And I said, you know, the most important thing is your health and your long-term career. This is not a healthy road. And so we as a group discussed of shortening the workday for the mm -hmm. time being. So instead of having a eight to five day and the last appointments booked at four or four 30, let's book the last appointment at three. Yeah. Let's uh, not try to cram everybody into the schedule when somebody calls. So we may take a financial hit in the short term, but I think the long-term health of our employees is much more important. Yeah. It's sorry just to cut in. And I think too, you know, you might think of it, you know, pre learning about this stuff, you might think, well, we're going to take a financial hit and that's, you know, whose fault is that? But really, I mean, when it comes down to it, the fault is of the company because we didn't set them up to have an environment where they're not burning out. So, you know, I mean, they're, they're a pedal to the metal doing all that they can. You can't really expect them to do anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, constraints have happened, like COVID's happened to us. Uh, and so, yeah, it can't be business as usual. So let's, we have to adapt. And, 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 you know, we've been sort of relishing in the profession. Hey, hey it's been great for us. Uh, we've all done well in the COVID uh, crisis. Uh, thank God we're not a restaurant or a hotel or an airline type thing. But uh, there's a price that goes with that unexpected Definitely. success. So, so she talks further about creating a, a person job fit and what do we need in a job? What does a person need in a job? Uh, some of this reminds me of that, uh, that YouTube video of Daniel Pink, great author of, uh, on, on managing people. And he has a great video on the three needs that people need on motivation. And those are the first three on her list of, of seven. So the first one, autonomy, we need control and choice over what we do. So I think, you know, micromanaging people doesn't help. You know, we were talking about the demands of clients. We talked last podcast or two podcasts ago that the client's not always right. So I think giving people the control and actually being able to say no to people helps. Yes. Uh, belongingness or being part of that community, an important thing. So I think this goes back to what we've always talked about, having a company that's purpose-based, based on values there's that community and, and not tolerating toxic, poor behaviors from others. I think that's the hugest factor. Yeah. And that's a hard one. And, you know, in an environment where those behaviors haven't been addressed before and you're going into a stressful situation like COVID and we, we don't have a culture where we call people on their BS. Yeah. You can see it circling the drain for sure. Yeah. Third thing, competency. We like to be good at what we do. So 
having appreciation, uh, letting people develop, grow. CE is a great part of it, letting them try things. Being a master of what you do is, I think we really need that. Uh, positive emotions. We want to be around things that make us feel good. We want to celebrate. We want to laugh. And I think that's important. We all say in our business, if we don't have a good belly laugh once a day, it's it wasn't a good day. Let, let's mm-hmm. enjoy ourselves. Psychological safety. And we've talked about this before, having that safe work environment that you're not going to get yelled at, screamed at, uh, you're not going to have toxic coworkers. And then finally, fairness and meeting, which is we talked before about those buffers. You know, it sounds like a simple list, but obviously we all struggle at it because we're not doing a great job to it. No, it's true. I mean, it's we don't necessarily, and we see it time and time again, we don't necessarily think of these things, and especially if a business is growing or it's unexpectedly busy and we don't have the resources to cover it. Uh, you're just sort of going from minute to minute and trying yeah. to put out fires. Uh, and, you know, it it just snowballs. It's, yeah. There's no, no space for it to get any better in that kind of environment. You know, so basically she said the six paths to a healthy workplace, a sustainable workload. It's not about necessarily working hard or not or working long hours or not. It's something that can be sustained. Do we have time to recover? I know you're a a big runner, and I know you and I have talked about this quote I found in uh, uh, this famous American uh, female Olympic marathoner. And basically her coach said there's no such thing as overtraining. It's under rest is our Mm -hmm. biggest problem, and we don't have enough time to rest. Choice control, recognition and reward. Uh, hallelujah. That's what we've been saying. Having a great community, a great work environment that people trust each other, having fairness, respect, social justice in the workplace. And then finally, having clear values, a meaningful work purpose. I mean, it, get, it comes back to the foundation. So it's not just about money. It's not just about how many animals we can see in a day. We want to see more, but I guess it comes down to what's all sustainable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I read, listened to the podcast, looked her up online, I've downloaded her book, and it's like one of these things like, we've got to share this, because this is something we don't talk a lot about in our profession. No, and I think we sort of throw the word burnout around without really understanding what it means. And I think, just like you mentioned earlier, you think it's simplistic, oh, we'll just uh, meditate or take a day off, an extra day off or whatever. You're not addressing the fundamental reasons why the burnout is happening. Yep. So how can you expect somebody to be able to recover? Yeah. And doing some reading for this podcast, you know, there's been some discussion. Well, are millennials more sensitive to burnout? And no. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to what this article said is that the workplace has changed. Absolutely. We're all about hustling and side hustles and making money and doing more and more and more. And it's 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 getting poisonous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're we're trying to sustain a lifestyle that uh, is just of more and more and you need more inputs to be able to afford it for sure. Yep. We're all trying to keep up with the Kardashians, I guess. Uh, yeah, sadly. Yeah. Yes, unfortunately. So tell us about your article. All right. So my article is from Harvard Business Review, HBR, uh, by Margaret Luciano and Joan Brett. Uh, it's from the end of January of this year. It's called, Do You Know Burnout When You See It? So we've talked about, um, you know, the factors that go into how burnout happens. But as far as spotting it, you know, what does it look like in uh, in the workplace? What they said is, you know, we, we tend to think, oh, let's do a survey. And, let, you know, I, I love a good survey as much as the next person. But they say the survey doesn't really address 
the active forms of burnout. We'll talk about that in a minute, but you're not getting the full picture basically is the short version uh, when you're doing a survey. You know, you're know, you delving down, but you're not getting the whole thing. So what these, uh, these women did is they came up with a framework for you know, different types of, of burnout, what it looks like. So basically they're saying that there are two main kinds of burnout, passive burnout and active burnout. And they go to uh, emotional arousal as far as, as how they characterize it. So passive burnout uh, comes from low arousal emotions, so like sadness and fatigue, uh, whereas active burnout, so burnout that's easier to see, comes from high arousal emotions, so frustration and distress, the kind of louder, louder emotions. Uh, and then they talk about burnout having internal and external symptoms. So it's kind of a grid, you know, passive burnout, there's internal and external symptoms, active burnout, there's internal and external symptoms as well. And of course, internal s- symptoms are harder to spot, uh, but they're no less important or no more important than external symptoms. So if you're not confused yet, let's get into it. Maybe it'll become a little bit more clear. So when they're talking about warning signs for passive burnout. So again, there's passive burnout, low arousal emotions, sadness and fatigue, internal symptoms that are harder to spot. Um, You know, going into the workplace and you're seeing people that are weary, uh, they feel uh, like they're inadequate and they feel like they're sad. And that harms productivity. So people feel hopeless. They have a lot of anxiety. And, you know, they basically make a mountain out of a molehill uh, where a small setback becomes a huge personal failure. You know, like I couldn't get this done. I'm just a failure. I'm not going to try because I know I'm just going to, I'm going to fail. So what's the point? I'm going to, why bother? So again, sadness, fatigue, low arousal emotions going into this. Uh, And, you know, if you go in and you have somebody who previously was pretty chipper or pretty upbeat and they're kind of going around, they're gloomy, their voice has a very low tone. There's a lot of sighing that sort of low slow head shaking and they're saying things like well why bother this is just the way things are you know i'm I'm not going to be able to get out of this so those are warning signs of internal passive burnout boy we've seen that before but yeah i've seen that a lot definitely and i mean that seems pretty obvious yeah you know and then they they talk about so we're talking still about passive burnout so still working with those sadness and fatigue emotions uh but external symptoms that are easier to observe And these aren't necessarily things that I would have equated with burnout before. It really made me think. So external passive warning signs, uh, employees lowering standards of performance, withdrawing effort, they're relaxing rules that they usually follow, they're missing deadlines, and they're expressing cynicism. So they're sort of uh, disengaging, really. If we roll it back to employee engagement, like everything does, they're they're drawing back. Uh, And if we ignore those early warning signs of external passive burnout, you can get into extreme avoidance behaviors. So people are avoiding interacting with their coworkers. You know, they're not speaking up uh, with an idea or when something's wrong. They're not addressing problems as they crop up. And they might become dismissive. And I think this is one that we definitely, you know, a behavior that we've seen before, but haven't necessarily equated it to burnout. You might say, oh, this person just doesn't like to respond but they kept become dismissive. They're too burned out to help fix problems. You know, they just, they can't, they don't have anything left to give. So that's a bit easier to observe than some of the internal symptoms that we talked about. Do you have any thoughts about this? 
again, you, you, you hear things like this and I just have memories or I just think of situations that yeah. I've had with my own uh, colleagues that I work with, our own vets, uh, vets at other practices that we work at. And uh, yeah, this goes on a lot more than I think we like to think about or recognize. I totally agree. I, again, for me, it really resonated that you might have thought that these were personal failures of yeah, who's yeah. not resilient enough. They're not tough enough. But there's yep. a reason that they're acting like this, uh, yep. and it's usually us, sadly. Uh, so those are those are external internal symptoms of passive burnout. So when we talk about active burnout, again, we're dealing with high arousal emotions, so frustration, distress, kind of you know things that get your heart beating a little bit faster. Uh, and when we're talking internal symptoms of active burnout. Uh, they're erosive behaviors. So these are things that you might not necessarily see because they happen when somebody goes home, um, but negative coping tactics. So we get into substance abuse, unhealthy eating habits, uh, neglecting healthy routines that they might have had, like working out or, or doing hobbies. Mm -hmm. These are hard to spot. The behaviors themselves are hard to spot, but they can manifest themselves in you know, people having mental and physical impairments at work, you know, some, you know, something's not quite right with this person or people being absent when they weren't necessarily absent before, you know, they don't have a traditional illness that you might think of like the flu or, or something like that, but they're just, they're out because they're, they're dealing with um, repercussions of those negative coping tactics. So I thought that was, that's interesting because those are, again, those are the internal symptoms. So not things that you necessarily see on the outside. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we talk about external active uh, symptoms. So these are, I think, are easier to spot. So people who are easily annoyed, people who are expressing impatience and discontent. And I mean, there are people who are kind of like that. It's just their personality. Uh, but if you see a flip in somebody's personality, so somebody who's usually patient, somebody who's usually diplomatic, somebody who's usually willing to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, when they become short, that's a, a definite warning sign. And, you know, that kind of rolls into incivility, blaming. It could go to angry outbursts. Uh, and they talk about frequent unprompted crying as well. And it's interesting because I think of times uh, in my work life when I've been at that point where you just, you know, you have nothing left to give. And it's like I could cry at any second. And uh, I, I can really empathize with that. You know, they talk about people losing their cool at work more frequently you know, and they might speak up more often than they usually would, uh, but about things that are generally pretty small on the grand scheme of things. And I think the thing about this too, and I think this is something that I hadn't necessarily thought of before either, but this kind of behavior stresses those people who are around them out too, especially if somebody's gotten an explosive, um, you know, something happens and they just lose it. Uh, you know, they can damage work relationships, productivity grinds to a halt. And the whole team's morale goes down because you know, you're tiptoeing or you're, you know, trying not to step on broken glass around this person. Well, you don't have that psychological safety. You don't have yes. that safe environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are the symptoms that I talk about. And I'd never really, I don't think I'd seen such a good uh, synopsis of what those symptoms look like, or at least I hadn't necessarily equated those with, with burnout. Um, so then there's the million dollar question. And we started talking about it earlier about how to manage the burnout. Uh, and of course the caveat that they talk about in this article is avoiding it is easier than bouncing back from it. But you know, it's a bit too late or it's kind of irrelevant if we're already there. But I think it's still important uh, still to be able to see those warning signs and to say, okay, what, what can I do to get this, the train back on the tracks early 
instead of letting this go and being like, well, maybe this person will just snap out of it because it's mm-hmm. just not the case. I have a question, and I don't expect us to know the answer to it, but I'm just thinking of in terms of how do we identify it or how do we manage it? How do we prevent it? Well, I think we've got some tips for preventing it, but I think part of it is in many cultures, it's such a taboo word. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm thinking of times that we have spent in Europe, Northern Europe, and I've talked to a couple of colleagues in North America, I can say, nobody wants to admit they have burnout. And if you're going to talk about burnout, it's going to be to somebody that you're very close to. Uh, you might not even share it with your spouse. You might share it with your doctor or something like that. We don't like to talk about it. It's a sign of weakness that we've burnt out. Mm-hmm. We as an individual has failed. Whereas I know talking a number of times with colleagues and or people I've just met in Europe. I remember one time vividly talking to a veterinarian and they were talking about their spouse. And I said, I have only known this person for 10 minutes. And uh, they mentioned that their spouse was in the human medical care field, but they've been off for the last few months because they burnt out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I would not be having this conversation back home in Canada. Like I this would not be having a, this at all. Mm-hmm. And I have noticed that I've, I've talked with more people who will talk about, yeah, well, I burnt out. I had to change my job or I've done this, change my job. And I think that's a much healthier approach to it. You know, when I would see it in North America, if I was going to bring up burnout, it'd be like a naughty secret. Yeah. Whereas then it was almost like, this is a matter of fact. They didn't enjoy what they're doing. They mm-hmm. burnt out. They've taken some time away to recuperate and then they'll get back into the workforce somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, up there with any other health issue, you know, yeah, like they, it could have been, they broke their leg and they couldn't work for four months. It's just a matter of fact is that. Yeah. So I just think having those discussions and, and having, you know, a, from this article that you brought about, like, yeah, let's, let's try to identify it, but let's look at our environment to make sure that our job is good. And, you know, and, and you know, we're, sort of looking at McKee panel now and, and some of our other clients in terms of, all right, what, what are things that we can do proactively mm-hmm. before we get to those stages? So I think this is a, I know we're going to come back to this subject. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, uh, this Fascinating. Fascinating. Thanks, Katie. Sure. So on the subject of burnout, we always get into our wins and fails. But before we get there, I'm just going to take a quick pause for a commercial break, uh, introducing our new advice by Oculus. Veterinary practice would be so much easier if all we had to do was treat our patients. Instead, we also have to deal with the realities of running a business, keeping and retaining staff, attracting new clients, and maintaining profitability, to name a few. Veterinarians also struggle with navigating and managing the always-on mentality clients expect of them, while trying to maintain a livable work-life balance while also managing student debt. When you add in the uncertainty and volatility of the world outside our vet practices, the business aspect of veterinary medicine can take away the pleasure of being a veterinarian, practice owner, or manager. Fortunately, we have a solution. Advice by Oculus provides online personal performance coaching and business advisor sessions that are convenient, accessible, and confidential for the veterinary profession. Personal performance coaching can help anyone develop confidence, motivation, and engagement. Your coach helps you identify what is holding you back and how to overcome these obstacles so you can reach your full potential. If you are struggling with your career and the negative impact on your personal life, personal performance coaching is for you. We all know it can be very lonely leading and managing a business. 
often we find ourselves having to make decisions that can have a significant impact on finances, staff, and the overall health of the business without the confidence that we have considered all options before making our decisions. Having a personal business advisor with the experience and education for veterinary business management can help you clear a path to business success. We have been in your shoes and know what it takes to move forward. It's as easy as picking your advisor or coach and booking your time. It's all done online. And for a limited time only, we are offering a 20% savings for all first-time Advice by Oculus users. Advice by Oculus. Consider it like telemedicine for your business or career. Okay, we're back. So on the spirit of uh, burnout, before I get into that, I will also say um, uh, part of the advice for Oculus is um, part of our team is Sue Armstrong, a personal performance coach. And uh, boy, what she ends up talking about a lot is burnout and really helping a lot of people. So just a, a, a really blatant plug for Sue's work because, yeah, she's helping a lot of people. Definitely. So my win and fail is sort of a is a, a combo win and fail. Mm. Uh, there was a Toronto Star, which is Canada, you know, Toronto City that we're near has a the daily, but they just had they released a survey on February second that uh, they did a survey of eighteen thousand healthcare workers across Canada between November twenty fourth and December thirteenth, and seventy percent of them reported worsening mental health as a result of working amidst the COVID pandemic. And you know what? Really, what they found is access to personal protective equipment was a really major mental health indicator in terms of if they didn't have restrictions, if they could access it, they could access new stuff. Uh, they didn't have, you know, their mental health was much stronger than if they didn't. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's a joint one. Is a uh, it's a shame that seventy <laughs> percent of our healthcare workers are suffering worsening mental health. Uh, double that with some of them are at that position because they don't have access to PPE. The positive is, and again, is a just it's a tip of the hat, it's a hand, it's a clap. It's just great thank you to our healthcare workers who are on this front line and showing up day after day after day, almost coming up to a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's my win and fail. That's a good one. Yeah, and definite ties to burnout with that one, you know, control and uh, uncertainty and all those things for sure. Nice. Uh, Okay, so I have a win and a fail that are separate stories. So my fail is our good friend Amazon have been up to their usual hijinks. I think the last time I talked about Amazon, it was with a redeeming type win, but this is a big time fail. So uh, basically... What has happened is that um, Amazon has a big fulfillment warehouse in Chicago uh, called DCH1. And whether it's by uh, coincidence or not, this is a warehouse that has had a high level of employees trying to organize. So trying to organize and and bring a union in to uh, advocate for their their needs and for their um, job conditions. So basically on January 25th, all the people that worked at this Amazon warehouse and they had worked in shifts, varying shifts of their choice before. So there was like one eight hour shift or there was like a six hour shift or a four hour shift and they're sort of spread out. Basically Amazon said to these people, we're closing this warehouse down and you can either sign up for a 10 and a half hour shift uh, from 1 20 AM to 11 50 AM. 
So, you know, super great for dealing with family, uh, taking care of kids. You can either take this 10 and a half hour shift or you can leave. Wow. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. I mean, people who espouse to be, you know, family friendly, uh, corporate responsibilities, high on the list. This is really untenable. You know, think about people who are caring for children, caring for elderly relatives, people who need to be home in the morning, you know, or right now during COVID-19, kids who are trying to learn at home. I mean, who's going sure. to be there to help them? And what kind of childcare is there, you know, from like four in the morning until 10 in the morning? They call this shift, this 10 and a half hour shift, the mega cycle shift. And uh, it basically what the staff have to do is uh, work for six hours doing um, fulfillment. So picking basically things uh, from the shelves and, and then they have to switch and they have to load the trucks. So they have to go from one type of labor to another type of manual labor. Um, and then, you know, the next step is they go out and trucks to people's homes. And they're saying that they're doing this so that they, Amazon can approve delivery times. And I mean, in Canada, you know, I don't use Amazon all that much necessarily because it's not the same as in the US where you can have something within four hours. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Amazon is saying, well, our people, our clients, they want fulfillment even faster and faster. And this is why we have to do this. But what are the actual motives? Why are they doing this uh, specifically to this warehouse who has uh, wanted to made noises about uh, organizing in the past? So it's a huge fail. Mm. And I mean, people could say, oh, well, you can either work these shifts or not. You know, you're not forced to work there. But this is something that they arbitrarily sprung on these staff. It's like we're changing unilaterally changing this. And if you don't like it, you can leave. That's horrible. Uh, yeah. And that's totally different in my eyes. So, yeah. Yeah. So good old Amazon. Uh, so shop local people. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Pretty bad. Uh, okay. So positive. My positive story. I really like this one. It comes from the Appalachian, you know, Kentucky-ish area of the United States, which traditionally was very heavily, their economy was very heavily based on coal mining. Uh, which, you know, obviously in the last uh, number of decades has been in decline. And, you know, there's always been a push on what can we do? What can these workers do instead? What can we do to bring these economies out of, uh, you know, into the 21st century? Uh, and what has happened is there is a company that basically built giant indoor farms. Uh, and their whole mandate was to focus on restoring uh, these communities that have been economically depressed in former coal country. They have Martha Stewart as a, as a board member, uh, but they're huge. So there's a place in Moorhead, Kentucky, that can produce 30 times more food than a conventional farm. And it's fairly done greenly. So um, indoor technology, safe space, recycled water, uh, they are making a huge or growing a huge amount of tomatoes and selling them to major grocery chains like Kroger in the United States. So it's a sustainable, fully sustainable, uh, you know, employs a lot of workers. And uh, what they also do is they are collaborating with high schools in Kentucky to incorporate an agricultural tech curriculum. So the company has invested tons of money and they're really, you know, helping to, uh, train people to be able to work in these jobs, which are, 
you know, not meet minimum wage menial type jobs, but, you know, more uh, involved in that. So I think it's wonderful. And especially in, in the times of climate change, they're doing it indoors. Uh, you know, it's 100% recycled rainwater, zero chemical pesticides. Uh, it's really a, a great news story. So that's my win. Very forward thinking. I love that. It's really cool for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Katie. Uh, before we sign off, just everybody, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Please give us a review. The more reviews we get, uh, the more people will find us. So whatever, you know, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever, give us the review. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.